1: Tori.
0: Hello, Internet.
1: And Dave. Howdy, y'all. Uh, so we start every week with Good Thing. Craig, what you got?
2: Well, um, I was reluctant to do, talk about it before, but now I've actually played it, so I think I can classify it as a Good Thing. Um, from our perspective, it came out a few weeks ago, but it's an RPG, an open-world RPG called Outward, uh, made by, what, Deep Silver or something? Um, I <sighs> I don't know how people like found out about this game. It sort of just popped out of nowhere for me, but everyone are streaming this and I'm like, I got to check it out. The, it, it's not a typical RPG that has like experience points. It's very much skill based. Um, it's pretty cool though. It has a, it has a lot of different variety in the types of um, classes you can join because there's three that you get for your character. So you can sort of mix and match, use what's what's good um, like I said, no experience point system, so it's all skill based and money based for equipment and skills and learning those. Um well, that's cool. It's open world, do whatever you want, do quests, RPG ish. It's pretty cool. Like I said, everyone was like streaming it for a while and I'm like, you gotta play. But the best part is that it's co op. Only one other person, but me and my wife have been playing it. So that's fun to have like that um be able to play with a friend or or whoever. Um also I saw Captain Marvel today finally so I'm ready for adventures. Neat. That is pretty good.
3: All right Dave, what you got? My good thing this week is a classic RPG series and that is called Fantasy Star, particularly Fantasy Star 1 and Fantasy Star 4. I like most kids in America had never heard of the Sega Master System. I had only heard of Sega when Genesis came out or you know, as a, an author of video games. But, uh, basically their their biggest title on Sega's 8-bit console was the first Fantasy Star game. And it is really good by 8-bit RPG standards. Uh, modern gamers might not take to it as easily, because you do have to kind of talk to NPCs all over the place, figure out where you need to go. There's a little bit of grinding involved. There's 3D dungeons, where everything looks the same, and you have to kind of draw a map to get yourself around. Uh, but Fantasy Star 4, which is actually the first game in the series that I ever played as a kid, just says everything amazing about it. And both of them have really good soundtracks. Uh, Phantasy Star 2 is supposedly really good as well, but I remember not liking the music as much as uh, 1 and 4. And I also just found out that Phantasy Star 1 got a re-release on Switch and they've been some quality of life improvements. They scaled up the XP and the money and lowered the random encounter rate so it's less grindy. There's also an on-screen HUD with portraits, and best of yet, a new feature for this version, there have been multiple re-releases, but a new feature for this version is there is an auto-map. It draws a map in the dungeons as you're walking along, and it's on the corner of the screen, and it just keeps you from having to draw it yourself because that's what you would eventually end up doing anyway. So... That is fantastic. And also the storyline is really in depth and at least the first four Fantasy Star games take place in the same universe and have a, a continuous story. And Fantasy Star on Sega Master System was released in nineteen eighty seven, only two days after Final Fantasy was released on NES. And just it had better graphics. I don't know if I can say a better soundtrack, but it definitely can rival Final Fantasy One soundtrack. And also, I'm going to get some flack for this, but Fantasy Star also boasts the best female protagonist in the 8-bit era. And I'll, I'll say, at the time, a better character than Samus Aran. Samus Aran has been developed since then, but back in the 80s, she was just a person in a spacesuit that is eventually revealed to be a woman. Elise, uh, Elise Landil, or Elise Landale, depending on the translation, is the main character of Fantasy Star One. Her brother's in a revolution against an evil emperor. He gets publicly executed. She goes to avenge his death and pick up his mantle in overthrowing the evil emperor Lessic. So, like, way cooler than Samus. At least by 1987, great series. At least uh, one and four. Those are the ones that I've played and can attest to.
1: Neat. And, yeah, Metroid 1 Samus was not, like, a character, basically. (laughs) I mean, Metroid 1 was not really a fun game, either. Eh, It was a fun game. All right, uh, so my good thing this week is a movie that came out in 2001. Uh, It's a French film directed by Christophe Gans. Uh, it is called The Brotherhood of the Wolf, or that's the uh, the American title. The French title, I'm sure I'm going to butcher, but here, let me give it a shot. Les okay, Pactes des uh And it is based on the actual historical event called the Beast of Gévaudan, uh, which is the real-world basis for a lot of our modern werewolf mythos, um, including the silver bullet thing. Um this is like consistently one of my top 10 movies of all time, which is a list that changes based on you know time of day season what I've seen recently, how I'm feeling that day and it's really really good it it's also basically every genre um, it's it's a historical epic It's a Kung Fu movie. It's a monster movie. It's a horror movie. It's a mystery. There's romance. There's political intrigue. There's everything.
0: there's Kung
2: Fu.
1: Oh, there's absolutely Kung Fu.
0: Yeah, there's Kung Fu. (laughs)
1: What? Um, Our our main character's sort of sidekick is played by Mark DeCascos, who you have definitely seen in things, uh, whether you recognize his name or not. And he is a Kung Fu Native American. Which is exactly as ridiculous as it sounds, but the movie makes it work. Um, But yeah, I don't want to go into the ending or any sort of spoilers, but it's extremely good. It's totally worth watching. The English dub is fantastic, and it's it's just a really, really good movie. If I can talk my wife into it, we may be watching it after we finish recording tonight. She just shrugged at me. I think that's a go.
2: (laughs) Basically, that's what that means.
1: So, all right, Tori, you're up
0: next. So Dave was hitting all of my nostalgia buttons, so I changed my good thing. My good thing is going to be my Sega Master System, which I still have. Aww. It's Yeah. I love that thing. Um, so I've had it since it came out. Um, I originally shared it with my brother. Now it's mine. And uh, <laughs> so I really like uh, now the default game that came with it was uh, Hang On which is a racing game where you're on a motorcycle, uh, and Astro Warriors, which is, you know, you're shooting stuff in space. Um, My favorite game on it is this one called Penguin Land, where you're this kind of um, alien penguin. I can't explain it. So there's a planet of penguins, (laughs) right? There's a planet of penguins, and your penguin is in this rocket ship, and you crash land. And so you have to get your egg to safety. (laughs) And, right? So um, you have to... It's one of those brick-breaking games. So you're up top with your egg, and you have have to break the bricks to make little stairs so, so that the egg doesn't fall all the way down this cavern. And... I mean, it's a classic tale. Like, clearly yeah it and we there just all are, grew up with this story, yeah there are polar bear monsters that will try to get the egg and and so you have to you know figure out where you can break the bricks to drop the egg so that the polar bears won't get it, so that's my favorite game, but um, yeah, fantasy star is is also good as as Dave was saying um, and let's see transbot is another one. It's like you've got this transformer rocket ship guy and you get upgrades to turn into different kinds of ships and uh this was my first exposure to mahjong which is a really fun game with tiles uh, that you've probably played before on apps and stuff but
3: windows entertainment Pack,
0: right that <laughs> and um so lots of cool games on the sega master system i love that thing
3: and that's fantasy with a ph in case you were wondering I'm, I'm. I hope people are familiar with Fantasy Star.
0: Yeah, not to be confused with Fantasy Zone, with an F, which is another cool Sega Master System game.
3: Man, I should look up these games. Maybe which is not them to be confused with Comic
1: Zone, which is a Sega Genesis game.
3: <laughs> I actually can't remember that. All
1: right, I think I think we have good at our things enough. Uh, Dave, you re- you started reading a new book this week, didn't you?
3: Dude, I'm so excited. Uh, yeah, Skyward. Sky- no, just <laughs> <laughs> well, you should read that as well. I should have read Skyward. I, I should yes, have read it during should. the week instead of rereading Well of Ascension. Although I did pick up some nice extra details in Well of Ascension. I mean, I can't fault you for
1: wanting to reread Well of Ascension. It, Like, all of these books do benefit very, very greatly from from a reread. Yes. Which is at least part of the point of what we're doing here. uh. Ah. So you guys have read these books before. I can neither confirm nor deny <laughs>
3: that. Uh, but anyway, you, you started on the Hero of Ages, yes? I sure did. I read the prologue and the first three chapters and took a look at some of the maps. We have some a couple of new city names that I didn't recognize, but it's cool. I like no, no spoilers in the front of the maps, I hope. Don't believe so. I mean, if it's there and it's before the pages, why not? There's Erto, and there's Fadric City. Oh no, and those man. are huge spoilers. You've ruined the but whole Fadric book. City is where Set is from. I don't remember Erto. Is that the the picturesque Urbane? No, that was Urbane. It was picturesque. <laughs> Erto, I it sounds familiar, but I can't remember. That's not the terrorist capital, is it? No. No. Oh, there's a, there's a canton of orthodoxy there. It's probably not it. I don't think Urto was mentioned in either of the first that two. That sounds so familiar. Maybe I was thinking of Urbane, the zombie town that Caesar passed through on his way to Luthadel. Uh but yeah, Fedric City map, so I guess we'll see some action in Set's hometown. Maybe we will. Uh I do also want to point out that there I did not have a map of Statlin City, nor was Statlin City on the world map on the first page, though. So why ever there was a map of Statlin City near the Wall of Ascension. Maybe I'll find out. I don't know. But it seemed kind of unimportant at the time, but I wrote down the name of the place. Alright. Whatever. On to the Hero of Ages. they will start with the prologue. Bullet points. Marsh. It. The lowercase f4. Ruin. Ruin incomplete is more like it. Hemallergy. So here we have a scene from the perspective of Steel Inquisitor Marsh doing Steel Inquisitor things, uh murdering a keeper, driving spikes through him into a on a table but the table has a concavity so a second person can lie beneath the victim and I suppose the second person in the concavity is being turned into a Steel Inquisitor. There's some process that they call hemallurgy, uh which I thought before that hemallurgy was just a condition where, when you get your pants altered, it made you have to sneeze. But apparently, uh, uh, it's uh. this.
0: No, no that that is hemallergy. The thing in the book that you're reading about is hemallergy. Yes, I that's,
1: pronounce it right. That's uh, how that's how um, the three of us all pronounce it, and the
3: audiobooks do too. Hemallergy. Well, I, but I figured on a... the I figured on the long e, but I was I was uh, saying hemallergy. Yep. Like, uh, like, like metallurgy. Like... unlike Craig,
1: you have some you have some uh, you know, pre- pronunciation credit. You can you can do what hey, your heart tells hey. you.
2: Hey, I got credit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I would have you given spent it all, all your credit game, have, on, if on if I gave it a long King game, it would have ruined
3: my joke. <laughs> so I gave it a shorty. But I was actually thinking heme allergy. But heme allergy? Okay. I'll accept it. Alright, so there's the prologue. We learned the name of Waste Guy, finally. If you hadn't read the back cover and didn't know, uh his name is Ruin. And Ruin has some kind of control over the Steel Inquisitors, which I thought was kind of interesting because the Lord Ruler instituted the uh, Canton of Inquisition and the Steel Inquisitors, and I thought his job was to keep Ruin at bay, but instead he just made these ultra-powers, like ultra-powerful servants that Ruin could take control of. Eh, it didn't really work out too well. So, uh, I, I also have far. I also have a theory and the theory is that being pierced by some sort of metal gives Ruin extra influence over you. Uh, I already talked about Vin's earring and also remember that Zane had a spike in his Chest for some reason didn't really explain why but that could be possible and obviously steel inquisitors have metal spikes 11 metal spikes uh piercing your body and perhaps even necessarily bronze metal earring is made of bronze there's the spikes are made of different metals perhaps look actually i don't think i even brought this up before they have eight medals in the chest, so I wonder if they actually have one of the eight basic Allomantic medals each in their chest. But anyway, in this scene, it, we specifically see a bronze spike as they're practicing hemorrhagia as well.
2: So and uh, I have a, uh, a confession for you. Oh, Way yeah. Back a few uh, episodes ago, we did the cast list for Well of Ascension. and Did you I cast posted... Ruin? <laughs> I, I did not, but... I I linked to someone else cast list. I'm like, you know, I I saw I quickly glanced at the names. I'm like, Dave knows all of these names, so it should be okay. But then I'm looking over it again, and Ruin was cast. Oops. In that book, but you didn't say a thing. You didn't like who's this Ruin character? I'm like, I didn't look at it? it. I'll tell you what probably Good. happened.
3: Good. I looked at the cast list, saw the first two names, I never heard of them, and then I closed it.
2: Perfect. <laughs> I was like, it's another thing that was worried. Was just I set like... up like the whole. Orseer Tensu thing. like, things.
3: Jeff Bridegiz. Who's this guy? I don't like this cast list. So, yeah, we, we of like course... Like when you put Orser in quotation marks in yes, your cast
2: list. Yes, And it was the same episode, basically.
3: Oh, like, boy. You didn't catch it. So, good stuff. Continue. Alright, that's the end of the prologue. See you guys <laughs> next week. Wait, so so what do you think of
2: Hemalergy? Well, do, what do you think of what's going on, I should say?
3: I think Thank that you. they are... Like, like the actual process, it's pretty morbid. Yeah, and the interesting thing is that, uh, so it, they probably aren't just out to get keepers for some weird reason. They probably actually need the feruchemists in the process of making a steel inquisitor, and somehow passing the metal through their bodies sends forces ferrochemical power out of them into the spikes. i mean we knew back in book one that the process was was a messy messy. process (laughs) yeah yeah and that epilogue book one yeah uh so i probably now that i'm thinking about it they probably somehow tap into the ferrochemical power and transfer it into alamantic spikes
2: remember we had that whole fake out
3: in the first book like oh march is dead oh he's still all well, did they have a make-your-own-inquisitor kit at that soothing station, though? They brought it. Oh, uh, it's portable? Uh, it's I, I, do know, I do remember that at the Conventicle of Sarin, Saran, whatever, uh, it says it does come across a make-your-own-inquisitor kit. Make-your-own, <laughs> that's what we
2: should call it. <laughs> All
3: right, not to derail us, but... Port- uh, portable.
1: The cover for this book that Craig has on his stream... It's so
3: good. It's just so freaking good. Post a picture. Mine's just it's, Vin standing on top of a coloss. Like it's, that's here. All boring. All that's that already happened in this book. I have nothing to look forward to from my cover. There's no Buster Sword. There's. <laughs> Where did the coloss get the swords? Oh, by the way, they don't seem very civilized. Do they? Do they have like? I, I would the, assume that the Lord Ruler had them sc- made for them. Perhaps. Here, I'm going to post the... Clubs made their swords. Mm.
2: So it's the UK cover that I'm using.
3: Alright, let's have a look.
2: So, ah. my cover, which I I like, because you you said yours is different, don't you?
3: Yeah, mine is Vin with a goofy face standing on top of a Colossus. The Colossus has arrows stuck in its back.
2: So I have the older US cover, and I sort of like it. Is that loading for you? But it's no. Ellen and and Vin.
3: Oh man, dude, we'll we'll get to Ellen. Okay. Well, why don't we continue? All right, chapter two. Wait, um, what happened to chapter one? Oh crap! I, chapter one wasn't the prologue. That's different. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're we are in part one, Legacy of the Survivor, chapter one. Bullet points: Fat Wren, aka Stimpy. Attack on <laughs> the Titan. I'm sure no one's ever made that joke before. It's
2: fat red. Fat red is <laughs> it's Stimpy. So stu- <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid. Okay, good one. Oh.
3: <laughs> so we have Attack on the Titan. Uh, Emperor Ellen Venture. Ellen promises to, to defend the Titan in exchange for fealty. Ellen and the army charge the Coloss camp. So here we have a city that is uh, kind of ruled by the sky. They've been surviving here for a while, and they realize that. Uh, and the leader of this of this city is named Fatran, and he's he and his brother Druffle are talking. And there's a colossal army about to charge down on them, and then Ellen shows up all by himself on a horseback, just kind of shows off with Alamancy, tells him he's their emperor. And, you know, Ellen, and he has a beard now, um, which I never really, I always thought of him more clean shaven, but, uh, it's more emperor-like, so I get it. Ellen, he arrives with his season two beard, and tells everyone, <laughs> and, beard! You know, I'm not done. This is a, this is a real, okay. Ellen arrives with his season 2 beard and tells everyone to forget about the city Gates McFadden. Oh. Oh. She came back in oh, season 3. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Oh. Should be awing for Kate Pulaski. <laughs> I don't even know the actress's name. <laughs> oh. Not that she's a bad actress, but... Pulaski? We don't talk about Pulaski. <laughs> but she's best friends with my favorite character, Data. No yeah, with data sure not with data,
2: maybe with data,
3: so anyway, you know, data has and a beard Lore's now. third brother, data Ellen has a beard now, so you know it's the book's gonna be good, so basically.
2: Good. it's Riker, <laughs> oh man, we're only one chapter in, and this is the best episode ever. It's definitely so we're, in we're in my my officially top one chapters you. of this
1: book so far. We're officially recasting Ellend as young Jonathan Frakes, right? Yeah.
3: <laughs> I guess so. That's Season two, Jonathan Frakes. Nah, I don't think so. so. I don't on. I I don't <laughs> like Frakes as Ellend. Ellen okay, is a little now, sophisticated.
1: Now that it's in my head, I'm convinced that Ellend only sits in chairs the way that Riker does. <laughs>
3: I love Riker I can, I can imagine oh. that. He's, like, oh, yes. He's got this big throne and he has to stretch his leg over it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, he's a misborn now, so he could just, you know, do a little push.
3: Whoop, oh, yeah, right he over. could alimant over the, over the chair. Alimant over the throne. <laughs> okay, so Ellen comes in, he's like, I'm gonna save the day, but you have to swear fealty to me as your emperor. And he's basically already captured the hearts of the entire army, and they're already listening to him anyway, so he's, he's giving Fat Ren basically the opportunity to save face and Still, you know, keep command and the respect of the city here. And then Ellen explains the weaknesses of the Coloss. Uh, tells him not to underestimate them, but also, you know, he doesn't want to let the Coloss work themselves into a blood frenzy before attacking. So they are going to charge Coloss while they're making camp and rest. <laughs> Slenderstimp. <laughs> All right, that's the end of part chapter one. Rather, any All good? Right. So did did you have thoughts on Ellen here? Or did you want to wait till the end of the... Uh, the... I really like... I really love Mistborn Ellen. He's very cool. He's still yeah, so like... now he's, he's full on Emperor. Like, it's... it's
2: He's grown from the second book. Like, with Tindul's mm-hmm. uh, mentorship. And now yeah, I, had, he...
3: I do like that he actually reflects on Tindul as well. Right yeah. here.
2: She so had quite an effect on him.
3: But, um... Yeah. I like I like him. I, you know... I didn't dig the beard at first, but then I kind of understood that, you know, why he has it. And I like that he's, he's still Ellen's though. You know, he's not, he didn't so much change. He didn't become a different person. Rather, he just became the best version of Ellen that he yeah. could be. Yeah. Well so to become
1: the best version of you, you just have to get superpowers. Or grow a beard. Oh, yeah.
3: We wanted this. To- Superpower. No, he was becoming he was becoming Emperor Ellens before the superpower. So listen, as a hirsute
1: man, growing a beard is a superpower. <laughs> okay.
3: All right. Any questions about chapter one? That Ren. All right.
2: So, so, what do you think of his approach? To this, like, you have to swear fealty to me, and I'll save you. Although he does it in a different way with. with like that's what he tells him. But at the same time, what he tells the people is, "Hey, you totally called for me, right?" And so yeah, that way, exactly. he looks He's like giving still giving the
3: opportunity to save face, basically. Right. right. And Fatran, to his credit, understands this and and plays to it. Yeah, I mean, the
1: deal he offered wasn't, you know, you have to swear fealty to me. The deal he offered him was, you can. the The end result is going to be the same regardless. But you can swear fealty to me.
3: hmm Like
1: you exactly. can do this on your own you or I can conquer you or, you or I'll
3: conquer your city. Yeah. And not and you know, we know Ellen's to be a good guy, so
0: I like is... how he's uh how he's all you wrote to me and asked for help, right? Wink wink, <laughs> trying to, you know, let Fatron save some face there.
3: I do also like that Ellen isn't abandoning the idea of democracy. He just knows that it's not what the world needs right now. So he's like, let me save the world, then we'll come back to democracy.
2: Sometimes you got to do what you got to do.
3: Or secret stuff sometimes. Got to do secret it, stuff. It sometimes. actually kind of reminds me of what I thought uh, Serene and Rayudin were going to do. <laughs> but it never happened.
2: What, what Ellen doing
3: Because Serene, Serene sets up this whole capitalist system before, you know, like this whole mercantile people work their own land and you know, keep right, the right. profit of the land for themselves. Actually pay she, people right. She starts she starts setting the groundwork for a more democratic world, but then
2: Yeah, but she actually has her home country to, like Tio was doing this and it's sort of like you guys are doing backwards now because you lost the Elantrons. Mm. Here it's like the people the Ska didn't know any, like, there's nothing that they know. It's been a thousand years. All they know is being under, you know, Inquisitor and the Noble Rule. Yeah. So it's it's different for them to adopt it because they don't, it. the stuff that happened in Elantris was ten years. Like, in ten years, things have changed. Versus it's now been over a thousand years. Well, about a thousand years. So you can see the well, difference. It's been
3: it's been three years since things changed. you
2: Yeah, but I should say that You're not comparing
3: under- you're not comparing apples to apples. You're comparing the time of the Rayode with the times with the time of the final empire. You're comparing three years ten years to a thousand years. You should be comparing however long uh Aon Dor was in, in existence to the final empire.
1: I would also like to point out that the Riode was going from a post scarcity society to not that, where yeah, the death of the Lord Emperor or yeah, the death of the lord ruler um is a completely different thing, like you didn't go from we have infinite everything to we have nothing, you went from God's alive to God's dead. But he wasn't actually doing all
2: that much. So, so my, my comment was just based on how people can't seem to accept or want to work with democracy, at least what we've seen in Well of Ascension. It's sort of like you try to give people some power and they just sort of do the same thing. Like the nobles are still in power. That's who they follow. Like it's very hard for them to adopt any other economic frame, economic and political framework.
3: Well, they did have a third class arise. They did. A, a step in that direction. And they were able to really,
2: because of the economy, essentially, they were able to really uh, take advantage of that. So, yeah, you have that. And that that was my comparison uh, with Elantris. Because Elantris, they, you know, they still have memory of what it was like in that post-scarcity type world.
3: I still don't think you're comparing the the correct stage of Elantris I think to...
2: I'm talking about something different than you guys are talking
3: about. Sure. Alright. I'll, I'll concede that. So chapter 2. Alright, so we oh, will yeah. get to we will get to chapter 2 presently. That is to say, we will get to chapter binary 10 soon. But first, I want to talk about the epigraphs. Uh, okay. So, we have a, a bit longer epigraphs here. They are apparently Epigraphs, uh, you know, I don't know if they're specifically written or just thoughts going through the head of the hero of ages while in the well of ascension. Possibly even Vin herself doesn't say explicitly that, but probably likely Vin. I don't know. Could be Vin, but at at this point, it's the hero, a hero of ages in the well of ascension, uh, looking down on this ultimate cosmic power, and but it's, it's not quite having the wisdom of what to do with it. I like how, I'll say I'll say she, because I'm assuming it's Vin for now. I like how she mentions Alex. I didn't say Alexa. Go away. Um,
0: <laughs> hey Alexa, are you I unplugged her. Don't worry. No, I always have to mute mine before we start because it's right <laughs> next to me over here.
3: Anyway, so I'm assuming it's Vin for now, so I'll just so Convenience of picking a pronoun. She is saying, you know, I can move these planets around, but like an infant that doesn't know his strength, I might be able to break my toy beyond repair, basically. So, and yeah, pretty cool getting a um, hero of ages perspective. All right. So chapter two, Uh one of my favorite characters is the center of chapter two here, Tensoon. In case you didn't uh, hear that the first time I said it, but anyway, Tensun has had his bones taken away from him, and he's slurping around in prison. Uh, I had correctly guessed that he would return to his homeland to, you know, confess what he had revealed to Vin, and even breaking a contract. So, what's going on is the leaders of the Condra Society. Are offering him a, they're offering him a, um, a, an execution as a contract breaker rather than shame and torture as a traitor. So, you know, he's contemplating this and they, they kind of drop a skull on top of him as, Almost kind of like an outward show, but they're basically, they're expecting to just drop the skull on him and kill him with a bucket of acid before he has a chance to answer. But Tensoon is so pro that he can form all his vocal cords and stuff in the skull fast enough to cry out justice. So, or judgment rather. So uh, Tensun is of the third generation of Chandra. So he's pretty old compared to other Chandra, but the he is under the judgment of the second generation. And who he doesn't think is necessarily following the intent of the first contract, as he calls it. He also says that he has blessing of presence, which isn't explained. I guess it just refers to the fact that he is sentient as opposed to other miswraiths. So third generation, he's in prison. Blessing of Presence. Acid. He cries out judgment. And I can't wait to find out what happens to him next because the chapter just cuts off. Come on, Ten soon, You can get out of there. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But I have to
2: agree. He is very much pro.
3: You'll find out what happens to Ten soon. So it happens in chapter 10. Could be. Honestly, That's I don't where know. I would
2: put it if I was writing the book.
3: All right, shall I move on to chapter three? Unless you want to talk more about Contra stuff. Uh, I guess the only other thing that I wanted to say is that Ten Soon, while admitting his, you know, that he was a contract breaker, still is pretty convinced that he did the right thing to save Vin. Um, I don't know why, but. He probably hasn't quite pinned down why he did it, either. That's all. But
2: we can, you can see what Chondra are like um, when they don't have a form. Well, they don't have bones.
3: Yeah, they're gelatinous cubes. Basically. But they're not cubic. But they are gelatinous. They're amorphous. They're gelatinous amorphous. And good thing we actually have ten soon because if it was
2: any other Chondra, especially a younger one, uh... That's it. This would be the only chapter with them in it in the end.
3: Yeah, since Tensoon has the experience to formulate his talky muscles. He has too much XP. All right. Mike, Tori? No, keep going. Okay. All right. Chapter three. Chapter three. Charge! Blood frenzy. Vin arrives in a flurry of horseshoes. The (laughs) kolos are being controlled by an external lowercase f force. Inquisitor. Electrum Inquisitortis Fest Ash Ellen won Yay Spoilers, dang. So we well, he, won, he won chapter three. He didn't oh. win the book yet. So they're charging the <laughs> Elend and his dudes are charging the Coloss camp and he you know he says, take down as many as you can before they work themselves into a blood frenzy. So this actually explains why. Whole, uh, s- attack each other because they're trying to work themselves up into a blood frenzy which is just like Warcraft <laughs> bloodlust <laughs> I guess
1: Anyways, They get a plus so... two
3: to strength and con Oh yeah, sorry plus two to strength and con and a plus four to fortitude No, there's something else It's, it's plus... a plus four uh, and I've lost the word, I had it a second ago it's Some kind of skill check I think, I forget Endurance, maybe? Plus four to endurance? Okay. Which is actually not not like the barbarian ability. It's more like the, um, what is it, the berserker prestige class ability. Or actually, I don't remember if it's a prestige class or if it's an alternate starting class. It's something in uh, Complete Warrior or whatever it's called. Anyway, so uh, when. They start attacking, and being attacked, they work themselves up into a frenzy. And basically, they'll just fight whatever's nearby until they cool off. So yeah, just like the D&D 3.5 Berserker class.
2: There you go. You heard it here first.
3: Okay. So, Vin arrives. <laughs> I think uh, I-, I think Elend promises Fat Ren that he has two armies coming. And I think Vin is the one army. <laughs> yeah, basically. Vin herself is one of the armies that he promised.
2: I mean, is it wrong? No. There you go.
3: <laughs> I just thought it was funny. And she comes in. She's using her little horseshoe trick. That's pretty cool.
2: I mean, I think technically it's Ellen and Vin together.
3: Right. That's well, um, and Vin. Well, Ellen is also thinking about how, like, all right, we need to. We need to take control of the Coloss, but there's some other force controlling them. And it turns out that there is a Steel Inquisitor nearby who is soothing or rioting them. I forget which. I think Zinc- Either one works. Whatever. Using emotional Alamancy on the Coloss and controlling them. So it's going to be harder to take them out until they can, uh, release the control of this Steel Inquisitor. And Vin burns Electrum. I don't know where she learned about it, doesn't say, but they have Electrum, they know that it can be burned to see, you know, immediately into your future and how certain uh, actions would uh, play out. But more importantly, burning Electrum makes you immune to Atium. (gasps) Which if she had known about it in the last book would have
1: undermined the entire plot line of I don't have ATM and I'm gonna die the next time I
3: fight someone who does. Yeah, but that plotline turned out to be a dud anyway. Yes. Just because Zane was so terrible.
2: Well, we didn't know that at the
3: time.
1: I but it was still it a commentary. plot line in the second book that would have been completely undermined by
3: the existence of Electrum. Now to, yeah. to give so well, crazy. they could have known about it, but not known that it's protected you from ATM. Like, they right. could have known so- somewhat about it. All right, so you brought up
1: some evidence a few weeks ago that turned me around a little bit to your way of thinking. I have an updated concept of, of where all this went. Okay. Vin assumed that there was a... Uh, An alloy to aluminum and also an alloy to gold. And she set, she sent samples of each to her metallurgist guy to try to work out what it is. She got results with aluminum. He was still working on gold. Then all the stuff happened and he, and she didn't hear back yet. That's some really nice isojetical research you got there that's sort of where I'm at. Like, she assumes that this exists, she doesn't know what it is or how to do it, but, but she's if got a But if you exegete
3: guy. the text then and go by what it says rather than going in with assumptions, then it's written in such a way that indicates she knows about Electrum. And again, I'm just going to say, and actually, I don't think that this book has been edited since the first edition. I, I actually, because of this, checked behind my title page, and I think this is the first edition it's been printed multiple times but i don't think that it's been revised since its initial release and you know i think it was just ai am just gonna say it was a goof up either well either they didn't fully know electrum's power or it was just they didn't yeah
2: that's what i was gonna or, say to be fair they might they might not have realized it was an anti-atm type like it, it had that use because people probably tried to use it it was weird because it just lets you... Right, and they're not likely features.
3: to test it against ATM because ATM is too precious.
2: Right. Well, e- even before when nobles just had it, it was still somewhat rare. And it's like, yeah, like you said, why, why would we use it then? Why the would gold, you even carry Electrum with you? Gold you is
3: use? also said to be rare, by the way.
2: Right, and both of those are sort of like it doesn't really have a use that we can see in combat or anything. So mm-hmm. we, they're just not going to carry it but who knows maybe assumptions were made or maybe the writing was just weird
3: well so uh we've got this fight with this steel inquisitor now Vin burns the Electrum, and they managed to get his shirt off and they're going about to try to pull the spike out of his back but he's wearing like he's wearing like, a whole shell back so uh, he's the inquisitorist whoops we so, blocked it then you know they to go, and there's a comment about how unnaturally fast the Inquisitor is. He almost seems like he's tapping into a steel mind fast. So, we'll see how that goes. Inquisitor, somehow... Wait a minute. What if we thought... Nah, there's no
1: way. So, the Inquisitor pulled a Clint Eastwood from Fistful of Dollars and Marty McFly from Back to the Future Part 2.
3: Well, what if the keeper actually became the inquisitor and not the guy under the table? Hmm. Of course, when the Lord Ruler was alive, it would have been forbidden to make a steel inquisitor out of a terrasman.
2: Only because he was busy trying to get rid of all terrasmen.
3: But uh, eventually, no.
2: they—no, he was not. He
1: was trying to get rid of Ferukami. He was actually—he sure, had sure, a breeding right. program oh, for the terrasman.
2: If—if if there was someone who could use copper mines and things like that, that's what he was trying to stamp out.
3: So, another important thing that happens during this fight is that Ellen ends up in a pushing matchup, the Inquisitor, and, and Ellen turns out to be stronger. He has more than the expected amount of alimantic power, maybe because of the titanium that he burned or whatever it was that gave him Mistborn powers. I
1: don't
3: know. Titanium. No, titanium is the opposite that sends spirits to buy groceries. But Ellen is a first-generation <laughs> Mistborn, so it might be that he has more power because of that, but whatever.
1: I could use some spirits to go to the grocery store
3: for me during this dumb snowstorm in April. <laughs> and anyway, they distract the Steel Inquisitor, and they're able to burn the Duralumin and, and Emotional Metal and take over the Colossus army, and they win the battle! And that's Ooh. the end of Chapter 3. And I also forgot to point out, I, I was, as I was reading, I was curious how much emotional allomancy Elland was using on the armies and on Fat Wren in chapter one, but probably a lot. <laughs> and Vin also notes that Elland is strong in steel pushing and also strong in emotional allomancy and being able to affect a, a large number of people simultaneously.
2: Yeah, but we also know how, the type of person Ellen is, would he force people like that? And keep in mind, yes. emotional allomancy does not force people to do something. It just tweaks their emotional uh, their current emotional state. Yeah. Which might do what you want, or it might you will know, work against you.
3: Yeah, I think Ellen was definitely using emotional Alamancy in chapter one. It's just not explicitly stated. Also, it's written from the perspective of Fat Ren, so he probably doesn't even know about emotional Alamancy. True. So do you get the sense at this point that Ellen, like the differences between
1: Vin and Kelsier, um, that Elend has his own sort of unique misboarding
3: style? He still has his dueling cane, right? Isn't he? Uh Probably. He does... I don't remember. I think that he's like Ranma. He does a lot of moving around and avoiding attacks, but isn't isn't really aggressing unless he absolutely has to and wants to. So I guess for background,
1: if this is somehow your first episode and also you haven't read the books, Kelsier's style was... Um, steel pushing and iron pulling, he would just he had like a tornado of metal around him when he went all out. Vin's style is she's the super strong grasshopper. Like pewter and get up close with knives and that's sort of her deal. So I
3: I honestly don't remember that many details about the combat in Chapter 3, but I do remember in Chapter 1, and obviously Ellen's not out to attack the army of the Titan, but he just kinda like he shows up, someone swings a sword at him, he grabs her, he's like, Nice sword. <laughs> so he's Spider-Man from uh Captain
1: America's Civil War. Okay. And Bucky's Bucky punched a bunch of people with metal arms and generally like overpowered everybody except Spider-Man caught it, pulled it to the side. You have a metal arm, cool. <laughs> So I guess minor I, I spoilers his, for Captain America Civil War. His slightly
3: different his style's going to be slightly different against Colossus than against other enemies I suppose as well. Colossus you got to aggress on and take out as you said take out as many as you can before they whip, in, whip up into a blood frenzy. But yeah, I I I think I kind of see him as to like uh, really like like outmaneuvering people and not aggressing until you know it's the most important time to do so. Alright, um, you have mentioned it. that you're very I eager to get back to... Think about I didn't think about it that much, but since you put me on the spot, that's what I'm going to say. Alright, you've mentioned that you're very eager to get back to Ten Soon, and... Oh, yeah. I have
1: to say that at this point in the book, when I read it the first time, I was as well. Um, what other characters are you interested in checking in on that we haven't seen yet? Like, who's who's top of your list of I Gotta Know What They're Doing Now?
2: All of them.
3: Ooh, that's, that should have been something I thought about. Um, off the top of my head, Breeze and Alarien, I think, would be a really fun scene. Having them reunite and, you know, see what they're up to. Uh, Sazed, obviously. What's can gonna end up doing now? What is Sazed gonna end up doing now? Um, Mist Spirit. It's weird, like, oh, this, does- well, I don't know. He doesn't. No. Okay. So Miss Spirit is still around after they release Ruin because he he gets Ben to feed the metal to Ellen. So is Miss Spirit gonna be a big player? Like, do they trust? Would they trust him now and realize that he's been, you know, trying to keep Ruin in captivity? Those so, are yeah, good what's questions. That, what's he doing with Miss Spirit? I want to see what he's up to. So I would say probably in order, Z, then Mist Spirit, then Breeze X Ellerian.
2: All like right. CZ.
3: Um, any? I mean, early... Enzoon is on
1: number one, obviously. But...
2: Enzoon is number zero. Yes, then... obviously.
1: Everybody loves the
3: puppy. Any right. early predictions for how the book's going to end? You know, Vin. I believe paper can be moved. If it proves too heavy, you could burn pewter. <laughs> Oh, what a guy. I love him so much. He better survive. He better bust out and reunite with Vin and Ellen.
2: Bust out. Yeah, that's exactly what he has well, to do. Well,
3: maybe... I mean, maybe they'll break him out. I don't know Man, how they'll... Why bust out when he moves out? ...the homeland. Out? Well, because he can't... he can't scorp vertically up, like, a flat wall. No. Is it, there's... oh, you know why? There It is actually... They do actually explain this. There's a screen at the top of his cell, and it's just it's it's just big enough that they can get water and food pellets down there. But it's, you know, the holes are, are too small for him to actually squirp through. It's true. All right, so
1: predictions for the end of the book. Early predictions. Go. Predictions for the end of
3: the book.
2: Yeah, we need something we have to make fun of you about, so...
3: I still like my prediction from before. It's going to be so tragic that. Not Sandra? <laughs> no, at some point, maybe not even like the end of the book. It might even be end up being Seized and mourning for Tindwell. He's going to end up putting memories of Tindwell into a copper mine so that he can he can forget about his loss of her. That would be kind of sad, though because I think he would want to remember her
1: that would be very um sunshine of the spotless mind is that the yeah. name of the book movie
3: yeah yeah uh, so I think they're going to they're going to beat up ruin beat him up I don't know cuz the well won't I don't know this except that Craig has blurted it out but <laughs> the well doesn't fill up for another 1000 years I I thought that might be the case, but I didn't assume it. But, Craig,
2: I thought they said it, so I didn't mean
3: like Well, they do kind of... It is, like, the end of the thousand years, I guess. That makes me want to play Fantasy Star 4. Um. <laughs> I mean, it's not that big of a spoiler, if it even is a spoiler. Like, but I The, think the that... important
1: part is that the Well of Ascension is functionally out of play.
3: Exactly. Exactly. And... Maybe they're gonna have to discover some new Allomantic metals to control him, or maybe they can somehow poison him through the brass that he's using to control people. hmm, or maybe Reen will come back <laughs> I'm just kidding.
2: That was one of your theories from way back in the day,
3: yeah, I'm really interested, oh dang, I'm really also interested to find out what happens with Marsh. I think that I think that Marsh is gonna ultimately be good guy or, oh man. Yeah, I'm going to say that. I'm going to say Marsh is in the, they're somehow going to be able to break Ruin's control over Marsh and he'll be good guy. Marsh be good guy. Ooh, I got to type that out. How about, I wonder if they'll be, like, they don't have the Well of Ascension. Wait, they didn't use the Well to imprison Ruin, though. The they He just needed the power of the Well to escape.
2: Hmm. Oh, that's his full name, Marsh B. Good guy. Yep. B stands for Bartholomew,
3: brother of Kelsier.
2: <laughs> Marsh, brother of Kelsier. Well, he is guy. of the
3: Steel Inquisitor brethren,
0: <laughs> bro, for short.
1: Yes. All right. Anything else for Dave before we kick him off and go spoilery? Or Bye, holy Dave. crap, we're already in an hour. Do yeah. we want to just call Pick it?
2: we got things to do.
1: I mean, do we want to just call it here?
2: No, I have something I want to talk about.
3: Okay, then Dave, Bye, go Dave. away. All right, thanks for having me, guys. See you next week. All right, Dave is gone. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material, Spoilers begin now. Craig, you have a thing.
2: I, I just want to... Dude, we need to talk very briefly about how on point he is about the spike.
0: Yes. Maybe? On, on point. On point about the spike. On,
1: <laughs> one could say that he nailed
2: it.
0: <laughs> yes, I <they> could.
2: <laughs> you have the Okay, guys, he would love this conversation right now. It's really a shame. He cannot hear it.
1: I mean, I've used the nailed pun for heme allergy like a dozen times in the podcast already. Sure, I'm not. It's not getting old for me either. I'm going to do it again.
2: But he he is very much paying attention to Vin's earring. Um, so I I think he's going to figure out very early like what that means, and especially the whole like what's going on with Spook type thing. Um, I think he he's going to pick up on it like almost right away.
1: Well, he didn't pick up on I am, unfortunately, the Hero of Ages.
2: I know! We He was talking about, like, maybe Alan's the Hero of Ages, but looking at the epigraphs, like, the way they're described in, the, in the, at least the first three chapters, it does sound like the sort of thing she might be thinking the moment she touched the well, like, right before she released the power. So, at the current time, he could think that, but it's gonna change... In a few chapters,
1: I think part of his like hold up is that in the first two books, they were things that were written in the past,
2: yes, yes, so,
1: so this coming from the future is is not like a gear that his brain is capable of of jumping to at the moment
2: so there's a chance that he could be thinking it's it's actually Recheckek when he touches it, but chapter four's epigraph actually starts with this is actually what happened to Ra I believe, so. He's going to know right away this isn't Ray Sheck, This happened afterwards. Therefore, the only candidate we currently have who touched the well that he knows of is Vin. Which is, of course, what Sanderson expected readers to come to the conclusion of the first time you read this. Well, I mean,
1: before too much longer, it starts going into talking about things that are currently happening.
2: Yes, yes, it will. And Vin is explicitly called out in one of the later epigraphs. So he's going to have to figure. I, I, I mean, I still think. Because it's Seize's writing st- and talking style, he's going to figure it out. But I'm surprised he didn't get it right away. And I- I'm glad we sort of dodged that. Um, so, yeah. I- but I did want to talk about how he noticed that be- people pierced by metal uh, can be influenced by ruin, which is totally the thing. That'll be actually be really
1: good, because that'll help him follow what's happening, like later on in the book, where you get, like, yeah. mysterious piercings, like, um, what's his name, the old guy in Luthadel? Penrod? Penrod, yes. Penrod gets, like, stabbed, they think, near his heart, but actually in his heart. Right. And he'll be able to, like, oh, yeah, that's that's what's going on. That's super easy. Yeah.
2: Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be a particular type of metal, but the type of metal you're pierced with will confer certain. It, it will exchange certain powers. It will steal certain powers from whoever you're you're being pierced from. Uh, like what happens with Spook, I believe it's shoot. Now I have to look up Hemalurgy because I don't actually know. Because I thought he was pierced with steel because it was a sword.
1: Yeah, he got a he got pewter burning.
2: Yeah, but he he stole pewter burning. But you used the steel because I think steel steals physical steel steals alimancy. physical. Right. It steals physical allomantic powers. So you piece, that's why they typically use steel spikes. Brass steals mental. Of, that's, yeah. So brass and steel, you're going to get those so you can have all the eight typical misborn powers.
1: And um, then I'd have to look up for the others, but ultimately it doesn't matter. Those are the two that are important bronze. to. It's not bra- brass. Brass
2: steals bronze, right. Ferukami powers. Bronze steals mental allomantic powers. Anyway,
1: the stuff that Vin's earring is made of.
2: Is bronze, not brass. Yes. It's it's bronze because she can pierce copper mine. Which,
1: again, I want to... The mental image of Vin's mom putting an earring through a baby and then into Vin's ear. Yep.
2: Yep. Well, technically you can make a spike and... And you don't have to put it in the person right away. Just if you do, you get the most power that way. So it's not necessarily that Vin is like laying down and it's the baby spiked and then right through the ear. It might have mother kills baby with instructions from Ruin, then takes the earring and pierces Vin in the ear.
1: Well, the point I'm making more is stabbing a baby through the heart with an earring. That's exactly what happens.
0: Maybe it wasn't an earring. Maybe it was, like, a long metal spike, and then it got bent around into an earring.
2: Hmm, maybe. But how? Her mother didn't have any, like, ability to do that. I mean, if it's a thin metal piercing, maybe. I I don't... The amount that she has is very little. It just has to be enough so that way ruin can whisper and control Vin. Like, it doesn't have to be like she stole a lot of power. It's just enough that it's more than the usual person who's burning copper, so she's able to pierce copper mines. It's it's very small.
1: I will point out that Era 2 tells us that, you know, you can take one big spike and, like, break it up into a bunch of little spikes for, like, mm-hmm. Wax's hem earring so he can talk to Harmony. Yeah. Like those okay. were those were originally Inquisitor spikes.
2: So there there's a chance that it wasn't necessarily like a tiny earring when the baby was killed. But baby was killed with some sort of spike and it is now in Vin's ear. Um but yeah, so so Dave definitely paying attention to the earring. He knows the spikes, he's talking about Vin. He's asking the right questions and making some good deductions. And as the book progresses and we learn more about Hamilurgy, I think he's he's gonna like come to more conclusions based on that.
1: Alright, Tori, I actually do need you to say that out loud because Craig and I both sound like serial killers and I need you to be part of this.
0: No, I'm not saying that out loud.
1: Alright, Tori typed out in the spoiler section of our Discord not going to say out loud quote, how big of a spike does it take to kill a baby,
2: end quote. (laughs) That's the question.
0: Well, I mean, really, it wouldn't have to be that big. See now you've got me sounding like a serial killer. Thanks guys.
2: Jeez. <laughs> so in other news, Dave also um noticed the pushing match against the inquisitor and that's also a good sign that Ellen has more raw power compared to current misborns of the, of the age and other like point shots and lurchers. Um so yeah, he he has more power cuz he has that raw initial alimantic alimantic power um and of course there was that mention of the terrasman, uh being spiked and later on the inquisitor is moving faster because he's totally storing and tapping speed like that is yep. what he's doing
1: um okay i do want to end it pretty soon but this is sort of a reminder well, to you I guys
2: to what's that that's basically all i want to talk about like he dave is noticing these things uh, it's pretty cool. And of course, we all want to see more of Ten soon, and we will.
1: All right. Um, I do want to talk about the various Condra blessings, but I don't want to do it this week. So remind me next week to do that, please.
2: Yeah. All, all we have to say at this point is that him having a blessing of presence is not just that he is uh, sentient. It's an actual spike that he has in him. Two, specifically. Sure. Yeah.
0: It's the blessing that keeps him from going crazy.
2: Yep. Good thing.
1: And yeah, I do want to discuss those, but not this week. I kind of want to call it this week so that Tori can watch Game of Thrones. Yay! So, good night, everybody.
0: Good night, This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast, or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening.